0: some price for Friday, January 12th, 2024. Coming to you from the Go Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center. Downtown Vancouver, if you need a staycation or just to escape the cold, 604-331-1000. Call the wall. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price. great sass hitting switches, conducting things alongside intern Lachlan Irvin. And this show, a presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Auto Group, fabulous
1: deals right now at the Applewood Kia in Surrey. Go pay them a visit. Take uh, Sportage for a test drive, shall we say? I mean, this is an iconic brand in the Kia lineup. You know the fabulous warranty that comes along with them. And these are the 2024s, financed from 5.99%. Applewood Kia in Surrey. It's all
0: good at Applewood. Poll question today. Should the Canucks go all in on this season? Yes or no? You can vote at the Carson Price on Twitter and YouTube, this after a fourth consecutive victory for the Vancouver Canucks. 4-3, they win in overtime against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. An extraordinary night for the lotto line, which accounts for all of the scoring. Elias Pettersson with two goals two assists, including the game winner. That is four consecutive game-winning goals for Elias Petterson. That is second all-time, the last person to go Five in a row was Newsy Lalonde. You know it's an old school stat when a guy named Newsy holds so, it. Oh, Newsy's got a lot of old records. Newsy was a hell of a player. In 1921, Pedersen tied with Daniel Alfredson for second most in four straight games. He has four points. The of line has nine. J.T. Miller with three assists. Brock Besser two more goals. Philip Ron- Philip Ronick Chips in a couple of helpers, and Thatcher Demko makes 32 saves, including some stunners on Gensel, Crosby, Latang. The Canucks continue to be a wagon. 59 points, second in the NHL to Winnipeg, 7.02. The winning percentage has now crept over 70%. It's also second to Winnipeg. Winnipeg actually does pull into a tie with them for regulation wins, 26, because wow. the Jets got another one. On Thursday, plus 54 goal differential continues to lead the league. Six points up on Vegas. They win, but all they can do is match the Canucks. And the Kings give up a point. They lose beyond regulation. Now 11 back of the Canucks. And the
1: Oilers won games. again. That's uh, eight straight for them on this. No, nine straight on this one. They had an eight-game winning streak just prior to this. The Oilers are 17-3 and three mm-hmm. in their last 20 games. They have made up two points on the Vancouver Canucks while going (laughs) 17-3. and (laughs) That's amazing.
0: Amazing. That's how good the the Canucks have been. The Canucks are so good that Rick Talkett is off to the All-Star game, the first Canucks coach to go there since Alain Vigneault in 2011. Let's hear from Thatcher Demko, the goaltender, because uh, this was a bit of a different victory than we have seen through much of the season. Take a listen.
2: I think, you know, just all year finding different ways to win, um, knowing that each game is going to be a little different than, than the last one, and um, being comfortable in, in a ton of different positions is huge. So, um, you know, I think this group just keeps learning as we go, and, and I think that's really important, and, uh, you know, we're going to be in a lot of, of tight games here down the stretch, and uh, being able to handle those are it's going to be a huge
0: Well, and particularly since it's different being in a tight game down the stretch when you have been so good early, overwhelm a team with offense. And that's something that Lotto Line sort of allows you to do. Kind of like the 2011 team where, you know, if Burroughs and the Twins were going in the first period, oftentimes that was enough, right? And then having to hang on the rest of the game. Now, this is a pretty good hockey club they played. And needless to say, Sidney Crosby was going last night. Almost single-handedly pulls them back into this hockey game. But you wondered a little bit about them. After it got to overtime with the momentum clearly on the Penguin side and yet Elias Pettersson with a beautiful finish right at the goal mouth to get the winner. And he'd been out there for a bit already.
1: You Mm -hmm. could tell he was tired, but he just dug deep and made it happen. And uh, it was spectacular. Although I thought that overtime that they would look different. Uh, Obviously, you don't play defensive. You're not really on your heels per se in overtime. But I think they see overtime as a chance, even though they haven't played a ton of it. I think they see it as a chance for their skill to shine through. And and I think they knew that the Pittsburgh Penguins were going to come hard at them late in the period, and they did, and they very nearly got it o- across the finish line. I didn't think that they played terribly. I think Ilya Mikheyev probably is regretting when he had the puck in his own zone and he chipped it off the glass and he didn't go hard or high enough and it was gloved down and they just immediately re-entered the zone and then scored yeah. the tying goal. Like In those instances, Ilya Mikheyev has to be more assertive on what he's going to do with the puck or you know you you, you maybe even take the ice at that point but the, it allowed them to to keep the momentum going but th- that's okay you know mm-hmm. like you're you're not going to win every game 4-1 in utter domination um and you've got to mitigate your mistakes uh last night was a bit of a mistake letting Pittsburgh tie and they walk away from it with two points yeah that's a mitigation. And you
0: say overtime. Only the three losses beyond regulation this year, the two overtime wins. So, yeah, it's somewhat foreign territory. But yeah. they've, they've won four in a row here. And here's the thing, 14-7-2 uh, on the road, 14-4-1 four, at home. So the same number of victories away from Rogers Arena as at Rogers Arena. And they'll have more home games here. And it's officially a winning, it's officially a winning road game. trip, too. Yes. This,
1: this massive seven-game road trip. Right, Blake? Win the week. Won another week keep winning weeks. They've won the road trip. They know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they've got the, the two weakest teams perhaps on the road trip to go. You hope that they – I mean, St. Louis is pretty weak too. Unbelievably the one loss. Um, if, if I'm Rick it, that's what I'm saying to the guys
0: is, guys. Don't repeat St. Don't Louis. Don't repeat
1: St. Louis. That's mm-hmm. the, the weakest team on the road trip to date, and that's the one loss you've had. Finish
0: the deal here. Here's a satisfied Elias Petterson. It means a lot. Uh, I think, uh, obviously, we're happy with the first period, but second and third, we kind of let them run over us and, um, yeah, get back in the game. But overall,
3: i um, happy with the win.
0: Juxtapose that against the other day, I think coming out of the Rangers game, when he just seemed so downtrodden. <laughs> a little extra pep in the voice there from Elias. Thursday in Pittsburgh. And lastly, here's head coach Rick Tocchet on his club's composure.
2: Yeah, pretty resilient group. You know, there's moments. Obviously, we got to clean up, but I thought, you know, you know, the bench. I, I got to admit, sometimes when the pressure's on us, um, you know, the guys aren't getting rattled, and that's good. That's a good thing. You know, uh, um, you know, we want to we want to stick to our game as, as as much as possible. We don't want to back in. We do want to flip pucks out, and I think we, we're really good against the others under pressure. I thought tonight, when obviously Crosby's, he was all world again tonight. So, um, you know. When you get a, a guy that caliber out there, um, it makes some guys get a little jumpy.
1: Winning's a hell of a drug, Matt, and this team has realized now that there's consequences to their play. That there's something to play for, and so um, I think a cynic could look and say, "Hey, all these stars were here the last few days, a few years, and they weren't able to do this. This is just an outlier. This isn't who they are." Well, unfortunately, due to the cast around them, and due to some. Uh, poor coaching and bad starts, they've never had something to play for. Now all of these same players, they're more mature A, but they also have something to play for. That makes you operate differently. Um, and they're well, having I also
0: think Rick Talk had humbled them, right? Like yeah, sure. basically telling them you guys aren't any you, don't get, of
1: them. you don't get anything for free either. You get what you work for. Um which is why there's been a lot of debate about their their luck level in the PDO Uh, Jay Fresh pointed out that they've got a PDO of 105.2. It's the highest 41-game PDO since the 95-96 Penguins, and you remember who was on those teams. The highest PDO teams since 1979-80 are two Oilers 80s teams, the 83-84 Islanders, and the 95-96 Penguins. I mean, those are the best of the best offensive juggernaut teams. And you might say those are the best of the best in dynasties, dynasties. Yeah. really yeah. certainly
0: post original six. And so you're th-
1: thinking all oh, the connects don't belong in that, and obviously the resumes don't belong in that uh right now. But when you've got success, you get confidence and you realize there's a meaning for the work that you're putting in. It's not just to win an individual game, it's for a big picture. And the Canucks seem to be doing that. Now, are they going to continue at 105 for the rest of the season? Probably not, but even if it regresses to 103.5, you know, they're still going to be leading the league and it'll still be um, a season two, remember. So there's still room for
0: regression and them still to be an amazing team. Saturday in Buffalo, and a reminder that's a 1 p.m. start, everybody. And then Monday in Columbus, and that is a 10 a.m. start, holiday south of the border Monday. And so with the very rare, weekday morning start. Believe it or not, there's another one of these games for the Canucks in February. Uh, Blake and myself will be going live during the intermissions on Monday on YouTube, Twitter, our social media channels. So tune on in and let's have some fun and engage and interact as we watch the Canucks game. The full Sakaris and Price podcast will be out later in the day. On Monday, after the conclusion A of the hockey, fully game. local intermission for you. Once right. again, right, and uh, of course, uh, Jeff Patterson will have rink wide on Monday, and Jeff will be joining us during the second intermission on our live streams across the social media it's the and Price social media network. Let me ask you this we all looked at this trip and said, Ah, Canucks have done so well, but seven game grueling trip through. The Eastern Conference, including some pretty good teams, there including some desperate teams like much like Pittsburgh, who are in quite a dogfight to try and stay above the playoff bar or get to the playoff bar in the Eastern Conference. Buffalo and Columbus, couple of the worst teams in the East. Mm-hmm. Like, are we looking at a six and one trip?
1: The one that should have been seven and no, perhaps. I mean, uh, we'll see. You have to bear down, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of these two weak teams bites them in the butt but i think five and two is very realistic i didn't think five and two is a realistic um gold and i didn't think it was impossible but i, I said before the trip to jeff i said what do you want to see out of this team this is a grueling seven gamer with good teams in the middle of it uh what do you think they and and jeff said hey i'm raising the bar for this team i think they go five and two and I said, "Wow, that's that's a lie. I thought four two and one was just fine, and in fact, I thought if they go three three and one, I'm I'm not going to be chicken little about this. It's a big no. it's a big trip three no. three and one. You know, if you just if, if
0: you're even Steven on the road, that is
1: not a problem, right? Especially on on that. Like you want to go if you go down play Anna, Anaheim and San Jose on a two gamer, yeah, you want to sweep both of those. But on a seven gamer, if you come back 3 3 and 1 and just kick the can down the road, keep your head above water, I got no problem yeah. with that.
0: Incidentally, it's February 19th in Minnesota, and 11 a.m. start is the other weekday matinee. Walls. For and the Canucks this year. A lot of also, matinees they've this got year. three morning games in February. Not all weekdays. Yes. But three morning yeah, well, games. Back to back in Detroit and Washington on a <laughs> yeah, weekend, Saturday, crazy. Sunday. I mean, those we've become a little bit accustomed to, but the weekday matinees are quite a trip. Home Thursday to face the Arizona Coyotes, and then the Leafs game on the 20th. That's a 4 p.m. start as well.
1: And then they get into All-Star Week a short time later. Mm -hmm. And Rick Tockett will be
0: there. Now, Jim Rutherford spoke to Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic. I'll read the quote. He acknowledges they are in the market for a top six forward. And then he speaks on Andre Kuzmenko. And says, quote, well, it would be hard for Kuzmenko to score at the pace he scored last year. His shooting percentage was high and things like that. But with that being said, I believe he's a 30-goal scorer. He's feeling the pressure this year, but he's working hard on his game. And I believe the last few weeks he's doing a good job. Now, it would be incongruous to say we're in the market for a top six forward, but we think we have the solution or Andre Kuzmenko is the solution. Is uh, that Jim Rutherford marketing? Andre Kuzmenko, a little bit. Um That's what struck me. I,
1: I think he's also creating a um, cushion for disappointment that if they can't get something done, no, no, the solution was here all along. Uh, we've got this guy right under our soft landing. Yeah. And you know what? I thought he played pretty well last night. And and, and there is an example of, of luck uh, to some degree at work there. Like, he had a couple of good looks that were stopped. And then he had a couple other good looks that he just couldn't find the handle. Like, again, confidence and puck bouncing and all that. Like, the puck seems to get away on him a little bit. And so I think that's a confidence thing. But, I mean, he had three shots on goal last night. And generally, when he gets three or more shots on goal, he's got a point. He just too many games where he's just not shooting. I thought he was pretty good. The wraparound, the shot in the slot, um, blockered away by, by Jari. I mean, these are those are good looks um but I, hey I, I can see it both ways from the the Canucks like they, they want to see if they can revitalize them um you know have a soft landing there but if they can pedal them and we talked about all the the different permutations of the salary cap and all. I mean, they get rid of five million. They're like, if he's mm-hmm.
0: a part of a trade, if you're in, if you're in the Elias Elias Lindholm sweepstakes, if you're in the Jake Gensel sweepstakes, guys who are making that kind of coin, you're probably going to have to include Kusmanko. But they, of course, are not the only players available on this trade market. No, there was news on Sean Monahan. The Montreal Canadiens centerman, of course, one-time franchise centerman of the Calgary Flames. Darren Drager on TSN's Insider Trading believes he will be amongst the first forwards dealt in this deadline season. And David Pignotta in the fourth period saying the Winnipeg Jets are interested and in fact had two scouts at Thursday's Montreal Canadiens game. They list the Avalanche Oilers, Bruins, Capitals, and Hurricanes amongst the other teams that are looking for help at center ice.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a downgrade from the other two
0: guys, obviously, um, in terms of the impact, but I think he'd be a useful player. But here's the thing. I think you can add him without giving up from your team. And yep. one of the things we've seen on our feedback channels from Canucks fans and listeners, followers, is you know why are we so anxious to break up this team? Don't want a huge piece that's coming in here at the expense of Kuzmenko and Hoaglander. Or something like that. I hear you. You know, things are going so well right now, why would you mess with it? It is a very uh, reasonable, sensible line of thought. All that said, it's not just about how things are going right now. It's about what you're going to require in the Stanley Cup playoffs to compete in what is a Western conference that, let's face it, is going to have seven really good clubs, including the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Well, it's a funny thing in this sport, in particular. You can see guys all the time. This happens, where guys play seventy six games for a team in the regular season, don't play a single game in the playoffs. And I'm not just talking about the the Ryan Reeveses of the of the world. Often it's like the Phil Kessels of the world. Play seventy five games. You're an everyday player for a team, but they maybe make a couple of moves at the trade deadline. Depth becomes a thing, and all of a sudden you don't get in the playoffs. And, and so you might see that with some of your favorite Canucks, your favorite Canuck role players, where they make a couple of moves at the deadline without maybe giving up too many roster spots. Like if they, if they dealt a pick for, for Monaghan, he comes in, let's say, you know, somebody's getting bumped up and a more regular everyday player is getting bumped out of the of the lineup. And all of a sudden that's depth in case the, the inevitable occurs with the injuries in the playoffs but sometimes even without injuries you just don't get in and it's a it's a it's a weird thing that that person was good enough for you for 75 games but when you got the depth in the playoffs you stick to the guys that you think can win in a, in a in a one game need to win basis and and
0: guys get pushed out a little bit so yeah i mean i'm not losing sleep if a uh, if a sam lafferty or someone like that gets pushed out of the lineup yeah sometimes uh, I, it's a
1: stranger deletion it sometimes it's a uh, Pew Suter or a Hoglander that you know doesn't doesn't get in the lineup and nails yeah. on. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. On to football, where the New England Patriots waste little time in replacing their iconic head coach Bill Belichick, and we had didn't we did an item on this kind of midway through the season. There were reports that Gerard Mayo, their inside linebackers coach, was a favorite of the Kraft family. And that may well have an agreement in place to be the next head coach to the Patriots. The only question is, were the Crafts going to honor that? Was that a fail-safe for them? Or did they want to explore the market, do some shopping before executing that agreement, knowing that this is a first-time young head coach? He's thirty-seven. Instantly becomes the youngest coach in the National Football League.
1: Very aggressive claws this early in his coaching career. Well,
0: and very aggressive promotion from inside linebackers, Coach. That's what I mean, He was a first-round pick in 2009, Blake. He played eight seasons for the Patriots. In fact, didn't play a ton in his last three because of injury or didn't start a ton of games in his last three because of injury. I mean, a seek-and-destroy diagnostic middle linebacker, if you saw him play, even going back to his Tennessee days, it was clear that this was a really highly intelligent football player who would get the defense organized and was instantly added to the coaching staff. So, you know, Belichick saw something in him as well. But, you know, Pete Carroll's out there. Jim Harbaugh's out there. Mike Vrabel, a former Patriot, is out there. It is a pretty robust market of proven winners at the, at the NFL level in terms of head coaches and the Kraft family putting all their chips, all their eggs in the basket of drawed mayo to be the new head coach. There are still, of course, all sorts of openings out there, more and more steam seemingly behind the idea of Dan Quinn, Cowboys defensive coordinator, former Seahawks defensive coordinator, and of course one-time head coach of the Atlanta Falcons when they were up twenty-eight to three in a Super Bowl and lost to Belichick's Patriots. Now, the one thing I'll say about Quinn is he was there for a couple of years and the two Super Bowl years as defensive coordinator. It's not like he has the longest history with the Seahawks. There would be other assistants out there that would have perhaps more of a tie to the franchise and to John Schneider. But he's got he is cowboy the, shine, though. Like there's well and. He's got Micah Parsons shine. He's got Deron Bland shine, mm. given the way the Cowboys will play defense this year. But no, he's a hot coaching candidate. And of course, a huge game for the Cowboys this weekend because they are typically disappointments in the playoffs. I mean, that's Dallas and Green Bay. It doesn't get much bigger than that in terms of brand names in the National Football League. We'll get it in the wildcard round here in a second. But first... I noted this from Evan Abrams, who is a um, writer at Action Network. Blake, listen to this. We talked about the three wise men, Belichick, Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, all leaving their familiar posts this week. Since 2000, there have been 24 Super Bowls and 24 college national championship games. Saban, Carroll, and Belichick have coached in 22. 46%. They've won 15, 31%. So almost half the championship football game south of the border of this century has featured one of those guys, and almost a third of them have featured one of those guys lifting, lifting the, trophy. the trophy. Crazy. Then there was this from Drew Garrison in Cincinnati, which... Nick Saban left Alabama, Bill Belichick left New England. Tough couple days for Yankees fans. <laughs> <laughs> used to be Notre Dame and uh um, used to be Notre Dame and Dallas in place of Alabama and New England, but that's where they're at. Okay, answer me this. You've got what could be some wild weather games in Buffalo and Kansas City. You have the Mass Stafford, Jared Goff return game slash revenge game, Rams and Lions, you have the two upstarts, Texans and Browns, who probably didn't expect to be here. Certainly, Cleveland after losing Deshaun Watson, Uh, and then you got Philly and Tampa Bay. What game has your attention this weekend?
1: Um, I, well, and is it more the weather? It is As more of the weather. You know my fascination. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to watch Buffalo and see what just what that looks like. I'm prepared to be eminently disappointed by the Dolphins and Chiefs game.
0: Yep. That the weather turns what could be a shootout into something that is a little more ugly duckling.
1: Yeah. And so I'm going to say that from a pure entertainment standpoint, Rams and Lions could just be something wacky and, and, and fun. Yeah, I'm with you.
0: And Cleveland, Houston could be fun too. I think that's one, that one's a little bit laying in the cut there under. I just underrated. refuse
1: to acknowledge that either of those teams are still in existence. Like it's just like <laughs> the the Watson and the Watson. Well,
0: Stop. The poor Houston Texans, because of course they went through a few years there where there was a leadership vacuum after the passing of their founding owner Bob McNair, and the whole Watson stuff too. Well, and was, now the yeah. owner apparently she needs guardianship. So I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it uh, should be a fun weekend. And, of course, that Philly-Tampa Bay game is Monday night. So that's the uh, aperitif after Super Wild Card. So- that,
1: that one actually could end up being fun, too, just because God, who, I hope you're right. who knows what to expect there. Like, it just could be a total bleep show. It could be it could be like a college game, just like mistakes and, and fallibility. Like, it, who knows?
0: Well... I just hope the health of Jalen Hurts allows him to at least be close to what he has been. Mm -hmm. And we're not sitting there watching a quarterback with a lame throwing hand for the most part and the Eagles having to scheme around it. Uh, We, boy, um, tough day in the city of Edmonton yesterday, Thursday, with regards to longstanding media members. In that community, they lost a couple of folks who have been a big part of covering the Oilers and the Eskimos turn Elks on the airwaves and the written word in John Short and Robin Brownlee. And and we'll
1: underline this boldly, John Short in Edmonton, folks, lest there be any confusion.
0: Yeah. with the Canucks play-by-play guy,
1: John Short in Edmonton, who was uh, an
0: original sports talker. I saw Dan Russell tweeted saying very at one some, point that's what I was going to make. There yeah. was Vancouver and Edmonton two sports talk stations. John did Edmonton, Dan did here in Vancouver, and they would even simulcast. Each other and be mm. on each other's show. This is think of this, this is the early days of sports talk radio, particularly when the Oilers and Canucks would link up, or when the Eskimos and Lions would link
1: I saw up. Saw uh, contemporaries of ours like Natasha Stanishevsky and Ryan Rashog saying that they would go to sleep listening to John Short, um, and so yeah, a real pioneer of the craft, if you will. Indeed, and then uh, Robin Brownlee, um, who. I unbe- unbeknownst, I didn't know. I mean, I know the name uh, from years in the in the publishing uh, media, but I didn't even know that we had a tie to him through uh, our Nation Network connections uh, and his work with others Nation.
0: Our friend Jay Downton, Robin was one of the first to believe in what we were trying to do with the Nation, being the Nation Network. He joined us because we need writers who quote brought the juice, which Robin did with every word he typed. He will be deeply missed. And my thoughts are with his family. I got to know uh, Robin a little bit when he was writing at the Edmonton Sun and covering football uh, at Grey Cups. And then guested many times on the Jason Greger Show in Edmonton when Robin was one of the co-hosts. So our uh, thoughts and our sympathies are with our colleagues in Edmonton this week after the passing of two different prominent media figures in the same week. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta, great spot to catch the game throughout the season. A quick walk to the Rinker Stadium, a go to spot for food, drinks, fun before and after the game. Make it a game night at Greta 50 West Cordova or at gretabar.com. We will talk to Frank Saravelli, our Friday insider, on whether the Canucks should be all in, on whether it's a center or a winger that they're targeting amongst these top six forwards. On Sean Monahan's availability and on cost, Jay Gensel, uh, Frank advocates for one more defenseman. He's got a sneaky available defenseman that he would put forward as a guy who could help the Vancouver Canucks as well as talking about the other players who are in play here, firmly into deadline season, less than a couple of months. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Jay Pat stops by. We'll talk about the lotto line. We'll talk about all. The, 28 of 42 games this year, the Vancouver Canucks have opened the scoring. That is exactly two-thirds, Blake. Two-thirds of the time. Two out of every three games, they're scoring first. And, of course, when they have a lead after two periods, that's been a successful formula as well. They've reduced hockey to 40 minutes. Yep. Uh, We talk about giving this defense score a run. We talk about Besser and Miller turning into value contracts. Who would have thought that, as well as looking at the available centermen. Jeff takes us through which ones catch his eye, and uh, Jeff's not a big Jake Gensel fan, at least not in terms of an acquisition for the Vancouver Canucks. No matter what you're buying, folks, when
1: you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business And communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca.
0: This is Harris Price from Wall Center Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood, Infinity,
1: and Langley. Love to have you out there and take a test drive right now in the Q50. Finance or lease it from 0% plus no charge winter tires. No charge. Just get winter tires with your brand new Q50
0: at 0%. That sounds pretty good. It's all good in Apple. Winter tires would have been helpful yesterday For many. in this community, absolutely. Poll question: Should the Canucks go all in on this season? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarson Carson Price on Twitter and YouTube. Here he is from the Frankly Speaking podcast and Daily Faceoff NHL Insider Friday regular, Mr. Frank Saravalli. How are you?
3: I'm good. I I didn't know the winter tires thing was a thing until I went to Whistler for the first time. Do they actually still like stop you and check as you're going? I
1: mean,
0: periodically, mm-hmm. whenever they feel like they want but to. But here's the thing, Frank it's going to snow like two to three times over a Vancouver winter. So people try and get away with not having all seasons or winter tires. And that's when chaos
3: ensues Mm -hmm. on Vancouver roads. Yeah. You can have four by four, but if you don't have winter tires, it's
0: not about the going, it's about the stopping.
3: Yeah, (laughs) That's that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Frank, first things first, Jim Rutherford talking to the athletic says they need a top six forward you'd argue otherwise. What says you?
3: Well, first off, they kind of have a top six forward that's been languishing this year. So that's one part of it. Be really nice if you had an internal solution who, by the way, makes five and a half million bucks a year. The second thing is, look, I I don't think scoring goals is what's going to, or offense is what could ultimately be the Canucks demise. I personally look at this group and and I've I've talked all along this season about how changing their defense core. Yeah, the structure has been great, the stars have been unreal, Demko's been amazing. But it's the biggest change for me year over year is the Canucks defense core changes. And when you have had to dip into at varying points this year for limited amounts of time, you know, the sort of fringe NHL depth pool that the Canucks have on the blue line. That to me is is where I'd try and, I'd try and get one more really solid defender to add to this group. And it doesn't need to be a, a super expensive price point to get there, but someone who's also an in insurance policy. And to I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to say to answer your poll question today, which you didn't ask me, No, not yet. The Canucks should not go all in. Yeah. Because. Because they're just cracking open the window. You want as many kicks at the can at this as possible. And at some point you're going to want with all the high priced contracts that you have. If you're sitting in Patrick Alvine's office with the big board and you're projecting it out three, four years from now, and you're paying Pedersen, a ton and, and Quinn Hughes and all these guys, you're going to need guys on ELCs. Do not cut the legs off of future years as attractive and as exciting as this might be. You've got the chance to emerge here as the team to beat over the next few years, given where your core is. Don't, don't hinder yourself to just take one run this year in which it, it, it's a meat grinder. You could get through and win around this year. You could win two. You could win three. Are you going to win the Stanley Cup? Probably not. And in that case, you might you might as easily lose in the first round.
1: A hundred percent. The go. devil's advocate, uh, you know, argument against that. JT Miller's thirty; uh, he's not getting younger. Um, so no one time... is, by
3: the way. No, While no...
0: Pedersen and Ronick are going to be more expensive, the OEL bio costs you more next year, and then plus you have all these UFAs to be who have. Turned out to be pretty important parts of the club. And they're
1: all asking for raises going into next year. So this they may year. or may not be back. So it'll be a different looking team
3: regardless. So I understand that. And I for the longest time covering this sport, I've always sort of been of the thought process of look at these picks. They're more or less uh lottery tickets, is what they are. Cause mm-hmm. half the time once you get past 14 in the draft, you don't even you don't know what you're getting anyway. And so I've subscribed to that theory until I listened to Tom Dundon kind of sell me from the Carolina Hurricanes. And and they've been masterful at trying to find market inefficiencies. And do they have a Stanley Cup to show for it? No. But his thought process is he thinks that the Stanley Cup playoffs are four rounds of seven coin flips per round. Mm -hmm. And that so much of it is luck-based, whether you break through or not, that the idea is to have 15 years worth of flipping coins so that at one point during that run you break through and that's how I now look at it I've been sold I've been swayed
0: so when you talk about a defender are you talking about somebody at the Chris Taniff, Sean Walker level or are we talking about like a Nick Sealer and Ilya Labushkin
3: any one of those guys that you just said, take them and hook them right into my veins for the Canucks. <laughs> like, I love Nick Sealer. I don't know how much he's going to cost you. Like, I would personally drive from the lower mainland to Philly and back to bring Nick Sealer there. If right, I really, more so, more so than walker, Nicky, Nicky nails, Nick the nail gun sealer. He, first off, he is, is low cap hit. I don't think he's, you know, mm-hmm. you're probably looking at, um on the high end the high high end a second round pick and he's he just does everything well like he's not excellent in any one area of the game and he's not he's not bad at anything and that part i think is is a really attractive guys love him it's a really attractive piece to have in your lineup
0: now you're never you're never fuller hook him into his veins, says no one ever other than Frank Cerro. You're
1: never fully healthy. Is he in there? But let's say they're, they're like like they are now. They're fully healthy. Is he in the top six yes. in favor of somebody else? Who's ta- Who are you taking out of that top six?
0: <sighs>
3: You're going to put me on the spot, aren't
1: you? Zadorov, Susie, Cole, Myers are your options. Hmm. Because you have to be better, right? That's the
0: thing. It's got to be Cole then, right? Like, Spell
1: probably but
3: i i yeah i mean i would be flirting with Zaderoff. Yeah. okay yeah
0: so we've heard you on all in what do you think they're thinking frank do you think wielander lecromackie their first round pick all their plum future assets are in play here
3: if if Mackey is in play then you guys are in a whole world of trouble <laughs> <laughs> and and here here's why i have a hard time answering this question i don't you can think one thing i can think one thing patrick Alvine can think one thing and jim rutherford can think another that doesn't mean anything unless you find out what frank thinks and i'm not talking about me i'm talking about francesco
0: the other frank mm.
3: the 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 big boy frank that's the only one that matters because that's how this franchise has operated for the last, however many years. So really what is he thinking and how aggressive this team should be? Cause that's ultimately what's going to happen.
0: One billionaire's whims and how he wakes up in the morning, oftentimes governs the machinations of the Vancouver there Canucks are, there and are, Canucks sports. Center there thing.
1: are other prospects too, that like Hunter Bruce like USA hockey didn't even think to bring him into the world juniors. I mean, you know, some people think that what he's doing this year in, in, the OH, in the OHL is is smoke and mirrors to some degree. I mean, those kind of guys, maybe uh, disposable.
3: I don't have real line of sight on him, so I can't. I also can't answer that question. I'd say once you get past your real grade A's, that that you know, if you're talking about B and C level prospects, like I, I would make the move. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, I, I, first round pick, one way or the other, like. Is it is it absolutely life or soul crushing for the 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 Canucks to trade that? It's not. I, I would just advocate for as tough as the seven teams are that are in the playoffs in the West, and I'm including Edmonton in that group. I'm telling you, I it's a real accomplishment to win around this year. Yeah. <laughs> and there's going to be four, three or four really disappointed franchises, no matter where it is, what division that are going to be feeling like they they really missed out.
0: So we know what you would do, but Rutherford specified top six forward. They have put Lotto line back together with incredible results. I'm sure you've seen here over the last four or five games. Um, So the big question we're debating here is center or winger? Because prior to Lotto line, it was a winger for Pedersen. And as you noted, that could be solved if Kuzmenko would actually play to his level of last and year. And maybe he
1: would if they got a
0: real center. Uh, and, of course, second-line <laughs> center is a little bit more difficult to acquire. But what do you think? What do you think they'd be more interested in at this stage of the game?
3: I mean, it feels like center to me. But, you know, I, I think if if that – if if the way things are currently structured right now, um, as much as I enjoy watching him play, Pew Suter is not your – to see going into a Stanley Cup playoff run mm-hmm. as a contender, right? Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Yep.
1: I, 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 do really like watching him play, and I think he could be just as effective as a winger uh, if you do get another center uh, and then insurance down the middle. But yeah, I hear what you're saying.
0: Well, that line is lost right now with uh, McAvoy and Kuzmenko. They've been put together, and that's the line that is struggling Not a lot of percent. While we're watching a lot of line basically be a one man bands there they're still getting good play out of blooger garland and joshua but again is that a le- legit second line in a stanley cup playoff series in this tough frank have you seen like your sean Monahan what what, what what are you seeing there from him if he's available
3: yeah i mean i think he's going to be a really interesting piece like i he's number two on my trade targets board because you know the fact that he's been healthy and has continued to remain that way he's on track for just over 50 points or right in that neighborhood and look, he's really conscientious. He's not the player that he was a few years ago in Calgary when he was sort of a routine, you know, book him every year for 30 goals and 30 assists. That's not happening, but you're also, like, I I don't think you're talking first round pick for Sean Monahan. So for me, unless there's a real bidding war, which there might be given the teams that are looking to add at that position, like, I think in a perfect ideal world on a real true cup contending roster, he's your 3C, Mm -hmm. but given where the canucks are at now like i could see him being an authentic option
1: and and helping out the pk perhaps and doing all that sort of stuff as well you know he's useful in other in other ways beyond just uh being an offensive if, center if he's healthy if he's healthy right what are the
0: who are the other centermen in play frank like uh, who else could uh, be or at least masquerade as a second line center who's available
3: yeah i think uh that's where if that's truly what the canucks are looking for is a decent place to be like Adam Henrique is one of those guys um, so you know pretty decently productive, not entirely fast uh, and and really has lost a couple steps I think but in talking to people that have watched him really closely, they're like, this guy's hockey IQ is so off the charts like he'd be a great fit for someone um, and can impact you in other ways and I think he's one of those guys like unquestionable work ethic, a drive that makes him really competitive that, you know, I, I'd certainly look to, to have him be one of those guys that pops in. Um, I mean, you've got at the upper echelon, the upper end of that, you know, Lindholm, of course, and, and some would say, you know, where does he fit in the scale? I'd say he's not a number one, but on a, again, on a true cup contender, top flight to see, and another guy that I'd look at that I don't think he kind of fits the Canucks just based on the term that he has left, but depending on what the dollars look like, Kevin Hayes, that if the Blues are going to retain half and knock him down to 175, 20 goals, 45 points, plays on your penalty kill... He's one of those guys that to the eye test, you you look at him because he's a bit bigger and a little bit more of an upright skater that you're like, Oh, this guy doesn't work hard. That's like, it drove people crazy. I I love Kevin Hayes. And I think he'd be a really good fit on a cup contender.
1: I don't think Trevor Zegers is a talker kind of guy, but what's the cost going to be like for, for Zegers?
3: Yeah, I, I don't, honestly, I don't even know that he's a guy that would move at the deadline. Like yeah. I guess. If you're the ducks, like, and let's say you are like, and I do believe that they are entertaining or would entertain the conversation for Zegris, this you know, latest injury and the time that he's gonna miss, notwithstanding. Um, you know, I, I think you entertain that at the draft. Like, why would you cut off half the league's teams uh to you know put them up for auction now? Because building really teams
1: sense. would would be interested in that too. Is there anyone saying? would be yeah. interested, I would think. If yeah. you
3: if you think that you can drag another dimension out of his game and make him a more complete player and you have faith in the creativity and offense that he has why would you cut off half the market
0: well especially since he's hurt now and uh, may six, not even be six weeks or eight yeah weeks, like may not even be healthy at trade deadlines so
3: kind of it mostly period you there as of well. and that of course he gets injured the night that yeah, I put the trade targets out.
0: What a uh, <laughs> what a horrible day for him. Huh? His buddy gets traded. He gets hurt. He hears his name in trade trade rumors. Uh, Hayes 6'5", six five two sixteen. But here's the big question about him, Frank: Did he convince Cutter Goche not to sign with the no. Flyers? There, <laughs>
3: that that really you know, and not to go on a torts like Rand. I mean it. It was really disappointing to see all of that play out and i understand really how it happened i actually had the reporter anthony sanfilippo on my show yesterday to add some context and explain like he had people in the flyers organization no doubt telling him you know drawing the line and he kind of connected the dot publicly um i just like i know kevin hayes pretty well that's that's not in his nature it's not in his personality and the stuff that he received on the back end of that you know i hope your brother you know i'm glad your brother's dead like come on what are we doing oh here gosh.
0: no uh, ridiculous um is it just as simple as it didn't work out between hayes and torts and cutter goche took that as a red flag
3: i know i don't even really think like uh, if there's a list of reasons like uh, it, it might be on there somewhere but i don't think it's near the top i the best i can glean is that part of this all started when last year he wanted to leave boston college and the Flyers were in the middle of a mess. They had an interim GM. They had a, a group and chemistry that they didn't like, obviously, by the pieces that they cast off last summer. The team was sliding in the standings and going nowhere, and he's coming to them saying, hey, I want to play in the NHL this season. They're like, we, we know you're good enough to, but for the last three weeks of the year, why would we burn the first year of your entry-level contract doing it this way? Would you mind going to the AHL? And I think that's where it began to fall apart.
0: Hmm. lastly for me frank because i i saw your post on this is landis going to return in time for the playoffs like whoa oh suddenly he's healthy and he drops into the colorado avalanche lineup
1: yeah is, is this kucherov like, or yeah, is this aaron exactly. Rodgers? no which, this which is, one is it
3: that's that's yeah that's bullshit um i saw all the people posting about that yesterday and i could see like if You know, he had surgery in September, and you you game the system, and you you know you sit out for the year, and then come back at the most convenient time possible, because that's what Kucherov was. And the best part of that, as they went through that weird, awkward COVID period, is he finished playing that season in September when the cup was awarded, and waited all the way until Christmas to have surgery. Like that was the bullshit part of the Kucherov thing. Mm And they should have absolutely been slapped for that. This is the second full season that Landis Cog has missed. Like it's not a oh, like an oh man, hey, they've they've timed this out. He had surgery last May, and they told him 12 to 16 months, an unprecedented surgery, by the way, no NHL player has ever played with knee cartilage replacement, which is is kind of wild to think about. But they're a long way off from making that happen, and if he does, it will be more than two full calendar years since he played. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not buying the cap machination theory.
1: And you're right. He's know. had injuries in his past. Yeah. He's not going to be flippant about time missed. Uh, I wouldn't.
0: All right. Yeah. Enjoy the uh, football game Monday night.
3: Yeah, might maybe I will. Maybe wanted... I won't. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah. they did. The Eagles did put out a hype video today that I was like, ah, you're sucking me back in. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Thanks, Frank.
0: This Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags are the best and worst of twitter.com. I'm going to lead us off like fantastic. Development for a young British Columbian at Flagstick. Lauren Kim has a date with Augusta National Golf Club for the Augusta National Women's Amateur, this is a freshman at the University of Texas. She won her first NCAA tournament. She could be the real deal here in ladies' golf. She will be the first female British Columbian to ever play Augusta competitively. But that's not quite as big as it sounds because, of course, until... I looked it up again, Blake. Like 98 or something? 2012. Oh, God. The first... Invitations to ladies to join as members came. And, of course, this was after all of the protests and boycotts organized by Martha Burke and the National Council of Women under the club leadership of Hootie Johnson. You remember Hootie was going to fight him?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, yeah, two gender lawsuits Gender discrimination lawsuits and nearly $80 million in settlements later, Augusta decided, ah, maybe we ought to invite female members. And as part and parcel of making basically reparations here and fixing the image of Augusta National Golf Club, this National Women's Amateur Tournament was born. And Lauren Kim's going to get a chance to compete there. Well, good luck to her. Mm -hmm. I wish I could compete there.
1: We can compete in any you, golf course. You have enough trouble competing in Northlands. <clears throat> yes, it's true. Uh,
0: at the Soccer Dawn, I'm I, exi- I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't abide you putting the Augusta Green Spike. <laughs>
1: Never know. Some days it all comes together. I'm excited to it. This is at the Soccer Dawn, Don Garber. I'm excited to announce a partnership between MLS and Box to Box Films, the masterminds behind the F1 Drive to Survive series, to develop an MLS focused docu series for the 2024 season. Unfiltered access to our league, so get ready to experience MLS in a way you never have before. They've done Breakpoint, Drive to Survive, Full Swing, Make or Break, uh, the Kings, which is a boxing one. Um, are wh- these. Uh, where where are, it is, they're going to focus on a pair of wacky broadcasters from Vancouver. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Never thought dull and wacky. <laughs> but me, yes. Can I ask a question? Are these series played out? Are they tired now? We're going to find out. You you know what? Because the tennis one was horrible. Uh, I watched the first break point. I was like, I can't abide. Because, and frankly, the last Drive to Survive was not very good either. Because here's the thing. When Drive to Survive started and made headway with all sorts of non-motorsport and F1 fans, it was because it was raw. It was because it was real. It's all about the content. Exactly. Yeah. As it went on. And as more of these series popped up, it was just massaged versions of PR. Yeah. For some of the subjects. Yeah.
1: So it'll it'll that's what it'll come down to. It'll be what do they get right. out of it? Right.
0: Like I wanted to love full swing. Yeah. Can't say I loved full swing. Yeah. Again, it was image management as much as it was behind the scenes. Yeah. I think this is great timing for them with Messi, of course. Mm-hmm. They've already done a messy documentary. Right. Which was okay. But I mean you would have thought Messi was you know the Pope, Prime Minister, and the King when it was all said and no. done. Well, the
1: the other thing it'll be interesting to see how much like they've already given they've already done that, how much attention is on inner Miami. And yeah. how much is on the that rest of totally.
0: the just become an inter-Miami documentary. Right. We'll find out. Josh A. Carpenter sources, Farmer's Insurance is not expected to renew its deal for the Torrey Pines PGA Tour event mm. when it expires in 2026. It's part of a larger scaling back in golf for the company, which also did not renew its partnership with Ricky Fowler. This is is one of the risks. This is for some, the tactics of the Saudis and the PIF and Greg Norman and Live Golf, bleed them dry of sponsors. You could understand if Farmers Insurance is looking around and going, this isn't quite what it used to be and what we signed up for. As we know, Honda has dropped off as the title sponsor of Jack's PGA event in Florida in Palm Beach. That's got a new title sponsor, Cognizant, and and perhaps the same amount of money. And we also know that RBC is taking a long look at its ongoing involvement in golf, given that its events are not elevated. And, yeah. Yeah. Some of these fields are just not attractive enough that's why Honda dropped out I mean their thing was coming to an end their sponsorship was coming to an end then an absolutely ghastly field showed up at the bear trap last year and made the decision easy for them
1: what's the solution like honestly what is the long-term solution wow. I wonder if the long-term solution is that the PGA tour reduces to 25 events so and then live is
0: on the off weeks for, for me the first solution is you don't need the depth of fields that you have been propping up you don't need 120 some people there well 144 in some cases yeah, yeah. half of that yeah. 70 some is fine oh, 100. Pe- people are not interested commercially speaking mm-hmm. in watching gol- golfers 75 through 150 in the world they're just not mm. so that that would be
1: the first thing the only downside to, to limiting and, and i agree to the uh, casual golf fan that's absolutely true. The only downside is how, on God's green earth, do you go? Do you, as the 125th best golfer in the world,
0: how do you become the 75th best golfer in the world? Well, it, it, especially with the way they've now structured it, whereby, um, you know, for example, Mackenzie Hughes getting into these elevated events and majors now because he just crept to the top 50 Mm -hmm. in the world because of lived defections. Yeah. Because John Raw. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, I'm not sure how much money you actually save in trimming down these fields. So, no, I mean, this is playing out. The long game favors the Saudis, and this is playing out, I suspect, as the Saudis maybe not had hoped, because I think they probably would have Wanted this merger to happen, uh, as they talked about in the in the summer, and it may well still. But time is on their side, and time is certainly not on the side of Jay Monahan, especially after the changes he made and the increased purses and the this and that. We said it when he did it, Blake. When you decree an event elevated, you're telling the non-elevated the other ones event, are crap. you don't matter. Yeah. You're telling the title sponsor, the golf course. Guys like Jack Nicholas, who may have their name attached to it.
1: I, I don't know how they. I don't know how they bounce back. I don't know how they make this all work. And well, and again, your your analogies before of Indy racing league and and uh, and uh, what was kart. it? And cart. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. Like yeah. when you divide, then you've got nothing That's that it. I want to watch. Yeah.
0: The the number one rule is, and this works for every sport outside of soccer. Because soccer is just so big, with so many countries that play it and play it at a high level, but you have to centralize the best athletes. Yeah, that's why women's hockey that's has ex- women's hockey has shot itself example. in the foot. Blake. Perfect example. That's why this new women's hockey league is a big deal. Has got some steam behind it. Yeah, because we know the best players are there was or the last are night going to be MP- there. MPP had a hat trick last
1: night, I think, or the night before. I mean, like you never used to say that in the other league because she wasn't in the other league. Mm. Um, unbelievable. Uh, at Super70Sports. Don't often have him in hashtags. Oh, good follow. but Very good follow. But this is a good time. Photo caption of a column. His own words are, it took 24 years, but look who's laughing now, MFers. And it's a picture of a column written 24 years ago by an unfortunate columnist. I don't know if he's around anymore.
0: Is it Ian O'Connor? Ian O'Connor. Yeah, he is still.
1: Patriots will regret hiring Belichick.
0: He doesn't write the headlines, but wow. (laughs) (laughs) Living in infamy all these years later. Oh, yeah. Lastly, at Matchpoint Canada, just updating from yesterday, qualified Vancouver's Rebecca Marino advances the main draw of the Australian Open. Uh, She beat her fellow Canadian, Catherine Seboff, who retired after a couple of games. So, Uh, unfortunate way to get there, but... Rebecca Marino joins Leila Annie Fernandez, Felix Oje Alassim, Dennis Shapovalov, and Milos Raonic as the Canadian singles when the Aussie Open gets underway on Monday, and that's hashtags for today. Joined now by Rank-Wide Chef Patterson, our Canucks reporter, after another victory. Vancouver Canucks the 4-3. They beat the Pens in Pittsburgh. In overtime on a night where Sidney Crosby is great, but the of line is better. Jeff, we had the discussion about lotto line. On Monday, has anything changed or solidified for you and your thinking with regards to this trio going forward?
2: Uh, I would just ride it as long as I can, and there's seven games to go before the All-Star break, and looks like they're all going to the all-star game. So maybe they take their magic to Toronto with them as well. But if I'm going to talk it, uh, if it ain't broken, it ain't broke. I uh, don't fix it right now. So a uh, couple of early starts that can be a little bit funky for the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, they've just been so good at uh, keeping their eye on the prize here. And the starts that they've had uh, earlier in the season, people were lamenting the fact that sometimes they didn't feel ready for hockey games. Well, they were ready at the Madison square. They were ready against the Islanders. Certainly they were ready against the Pittsburgh penguins and, it's just fun guys. Uh, it, it's fun. You can feel it in the air. I'm sure you guys see it in the inbox uh, anecdotally talking to friends of mine that have been season ticket holders and that have you know, really wrestled with the idea of continuing to buck up for the product and they've been scarred over the last decade and understandably so. And so I feel for them now. I feel good like the this is the payoff that there is this anticipation and a belief now that the Vancouver Canucks can win the, every single game they're not going to win every it feels like it but uh, they're not going to win every game but that belief is strong and you know playoffs it's all about matchups and so we'll worry about that then but in the here and now the Vancouver Canucks march through the front door of every building they play in and they expect to win and that's just something that we have not seen from this organization essentially in a decade now
0: i something crystallized for me or i guess was reminded as i was watching the game last night and what lot line allows you to do and that's exactly how the game played out it allows you to overwhelm a team offensively early who isn't ready to play and then sort of hang on when you forged that lead and i think it's 28 of 42 jeff they've scored the first goal this year yeah uh Wild. And look, I can understand how some Canucks fans would get the Willies thinking about, oh, yeah, hanging on. We did way too. We tried to hang on year after year after year and blew all those leads. But that's something that Lotta Line gives you. That's a different arrow in the quiver than how you've typically gone about forging uh, victory formulas this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, their record when they score first is incredible. And as you said, the mere stat that they have scored for so often is incredible, too. That record now of leading after two periods, it got pushed and tinted a little bit. But the single point the Penguins get means nothing in the Vancouver Canucks world, ultimately. And so 25-0 and now when taking the lead to the third period of a hockey game. And I was looking at this last night as the game unfolded when the Canucks got to 2-0 and again at 3-1, 24 times in these 42 games, they've had a two goal lead at some point in the hockey game. And so that's just such a cushion and a comfort level for a team that, you know, you get up three to one. Okay. The Penguins get one back on you, but you're still leading. You're still forcing them to adjust and to, you know, shorten their bench and make the necessary changes that they had to. And they look credit to the the Penguins. And I'm glad you mentioned Sid. And I know you guys have been talking about him up over 25 minutes last night. Uh, the Penguins controlled close to 70% of the shot attempts when he was on the ice and even strength at his age, the two goals, the five shots, five hits and 31 face-offs like just fingerprints all over that hockey game. But in the end, you know, the Canucks star power carried the day. And so it's just so much fun to watch Sidney Crosby and uh, it's so much fun to watch the lotto line right now. And so, yes, getting leads, uh, it's been a huge part of, the DNA of this team and one of the big reasons they are where they are right up there near the top of the NHL standings.
1: So long-term um, we've been talking a lot about trade deadline stuff, you know, and, you know, and you can make the argument. And, and Frank saravalli did as well that, you know, this team doesn't struggle to score goals. Do you still want to have an insurance addition here via winger, via center so that you can split this, group up if you want to and have two duos that are legitimately hitting on all cylinders or, or do you just address maybe a larger position of need and that is defense which is uh which is good it's just not great that's all
2: I, I want to see this defense core get a little bit of run though I mean you know yeah. they finally get Carson Susie back they've done a little load management uh but Zodoroff's really only been here for six weeks so Uh, You know, could they continue to upgrade their defense? Sure. But I kind of think they've constructed a defense core, you know, to Rick Talkett specifications that models what uh, they've got in Vegas and the group that won the Stanley Cup there for the Golden Knights last season. Big, tall, rangy. Uh, you know, physical in not all of them, but uh, they check off a lot of boxes there. So I kind of would like to see that defense score just continue to come into its own. Uh, For me, the the focus has to be up front for a couple of reasons. One is, as much as Lotto line is going off, it sort of feels like that the other forwards in this team have the front row seat, but they've sort of fallen into this like, wow, this is incredible. Uh, These guys have it every night. uh, We don't have to produce and that's not the I mean Connor Garland played hard and you know drew the penalty in the third period I'm not knocking the effort level here but uh since they put Lotto line together that line of suitor with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko they're not getting torched so they're holding their own defensively but they have been silent offensively and I still think as otherworldly as Lotto line has been there are going to be some nights where they're held in check or they just don't have it and the lot of luck runs out and the ticket doesn't cash in and on those nights you'd like a little bit of support behind them in the lineup. And so uh, I I think now with where this team is and all that they've done and, you know, the signals we're getting from Rutherford and Alvin are that uh, they feel that it's incumbent upon them to, to reward this group for all the hard work. So I am sort of anticipating that uh, there will be additions to this group before the trade deadline. And I think that's an exciting uh, prospect for fans of this team. And, you know, why wouldn't you like, You know, Elias Patterson's future here to some degree is uncertain. Further than that, Quinn Hughes is under contract at just one of the value contracts in the league now for three more years. But at that point, he's an unrestricted free agent and I'm not trying to scare anybody, but this is just the reality of the economics of today's NHL. You've got this group in the here and now. Go back to what I said earlier that I I do believe that their belief is they can beat anybody. That doesn't mean they're going to, but the belief is there. Why wouldn't you push your chips to the middle this year and take your best swing and, and see where it leads you.
0: So you're going all in Jeff, like Electromackie Welander, the first round pick in the right deal. You'd be willing to move any of those three assets this year.
2: No, I, I think with some reservations, uh, maybe I'm keeping a couple chips on my side of the, the table. Uh, I, I think look with the performance that he had at the world juniors. And look, he should have had a good performance at the world juniors. This guy's been playing professionally in Sweden. He was a top 15 draft pick in the national hockey league. You know, he did what was expected. Now, not everybody can be the MVP of the World Juniors, so good on him. But you know, I don't want to get carried too far away against junior age players and junior age goaltenders. A guy dominated, and that's great. Uh, but you do have to have an eye to the future. Like I'm not mortgaging the entire future. Uh, people have been banging the drum here for a decade to get a right shot defenseman in the fold, and they finally done that at the draft. I, you know, I'd be loath to turn around and peddle him. But I do think that they have some chips. I do think that this first round pick uh, very much in play, given that it's going to be fairly deep in the draft. Of course, the final order will be determined by uh, playoffs and playoff performance. But yeah, I I think you have to, like, these lot of line guys, your top end players have given you everything this year. That I do think organizationally, you kind of owe it to them to step into the ring here, give it your best shot, and also, uh, you know, like, there are other teams like, you know, now they're in this conversation with Winnipeg, with the, you know, Colorado with Boston on the other side, like, you know, pushing for top spot in the overall standing. Some of these other teams are going to be active ahead of the trade deadline as well. So I think in some ways, you know, you're just going to be matching what they do team like Winnipeg. is going to be fascinating to me because they're doing all this without Kyle Connor. Like what a, what a trade deadline acquisition Kyle Connor is going to be for the Winnipeg jets when he gets healthy and gets back in their lineup, but they haven't skipped a beat without him. So uh, you know, the other part, too, about uh, bringing in a little bit more in the top six guys is just that the health of this hockey club is a story. It is yeah. for mm-hmm. the I right thinking, reasons, mm-hmm. yeah. for all the right reasons. But playoff hockey's hard. Everybody plays through bumps and bruises. You know, again, I just think if you can add a layer of insurance uh, that it's uh, incumbent now on the organization, I think, to right. to make some things happen here.
0: I uh, it's why I equivocated on the poll question today. You've got time here, use it because if you have a season-ending injury to one of your stars, that obviously changes the equation. The top five scores are forty-two. No, exactly, exactly. You've been incredibly healthy this year. It's the one year we haven't talked about. Canuck injury, luck. So okay, so let let me ask you the question in this regard then, Jeff. Elias Lindholm as the big prize. Sean Monahan as your runner-up. Adam Enrique as a center to help on out where would you be targeting across that scale
2: i'd probably be looking hard at doors two and three from that list as much as i like Elias lindholm uh, as a hockey player you know I, i worry about the acquisition cost i think it would be a little bit less for sean monahan uh you know you're not tied to the idea of monahan moving forward i think you're looking at a a true rental here uh, I do wonder what it would take to unearth uh, a couple of those ducks, whether it's uh, Henrique, whether it's Frank Vitrano, if he's uh, truly in play as well. Uh, I just, you know, this is why, as much as I understand the talk around a guy like Jake Gensel, I, I, I don't like the idea of acquiring and thinking that you're going to commit to him and whatever he's asking at the age mm-hmm. of 30 when you've just done that with JT Miller. Essentially, the economics of that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And you know, I I don't know that you'd be looking at a long term deal with Elias Lindholm either. So I think for the Canucks, it's probably in that neighborhood of you know a true rental that can bolster the hockey club. And the more I look at a guy like Sean Monahan, he's having a really nice season for a player that honestly, guys with all that he's been through medically. Uh, I wasn't sure that there was a lot of life left in him. The other thing is, he's 29. He feels like he should be 39. Like, he just feels like, and maybe it's just that Calgary rivalry over the years. It's like it, it feels like he's been at this thing forever, but he's not that old. So, uh, I don't know. The more I look at it right now, Sean Monahan and it's kind of intriguing, at the very least, to me.
1: Uh, you mentioned JT Miller earlier. Um, Miller at $8 million a season. I know the term is the biggest quibble, but... Given what we've seen Nylander sign for, what we're expecting to see Patterson and Reinhardt sign for, does $8 million now start to seem like a bit of a deal for, for Miller, that for whatever qualms you might have about the term of the contract, at $8 million, is he is he $2.5 million below where he should be, given what his production has been over the last three seasons, and that is top 10 in the league over three seasons in a row?
2: I think in the here and now, there's no question that he is a value contract, which... Yeah. Again, I think we all thought in the early stages of this deal that they could extract some value. But I thought it was oh. just
0: going to be fair, though. Now it seems well, like a deal. Now it I, seems like you know, a deal. It happened two off seasons ago, effectively. So you're always going to get that inflationary yeah. effect, particularly with the cap going up. Sorry, Jeff. But I, I
2: just look 99 points a couple of years ago, and he himself said, "Like, yeah, I would like to have got to 100." You don't get those opportunities very often. I fully expected there was going to be a step back. There was going to be more concentration on his 200 foot game, paying attention to the details and the defensive zone and, you know, all those things that you have to do to be successful. And the 99 point season was going to be an outlier. And yet here we are two years later, and he's uh, certainly on pace for, for that. And then some, so, you know, we had this conversation the other night on Rinkwide when Farhan joined me for the first time. And that is like, it is funny how things shift and perception shifts, but, when you think of all of the howls in this market about overinflated contracts on the Vancouver Canucks in recent years, now like Brock Besser all of a sudden has turned into a value contract as well. A deal that yeah. nobody in the league wanted and Brock Besser with 27 goals heading for 40 and then some I mean, all of a sudden goal scores get paid and he's a value contract. JT Miller right now seems like a value contract. Quinn Hughes is one of the best values in the national hockey league. Like, the cumbersome contracts all of a sudden have turned into kuzmenko but it's only for a year and it's five and a half mikaev almost feels like a, a you know a luxury piece at five and a half or five and tyler myers you're never going to extract full value but tyler myers is having one of the best seasons of his nhl career and uh you know you can live with his contract with the amount that he's playing the role that he's playing five minutes of penalty kill time last night the Penalty kill goes four for four. Now Demko was their best penalty killer, but Cole and Myers, the two graybeards out there, uh, you know, playing tough minutes down the stretch and coming up big on the penalty kill for the Vancouver Canucks. So it is just kind of funny the way that things can turn in a hurry in this world. We always say life moves quickly in the National Hockey League. And certainly that's the case in the way that you view some of the contracts that the Vancouver Canucks have been sitting on here.
1: The best are one's yeah. unbelievable, guys. Like, did, did uh-huh. any team call up and say, uh, we, just, yeah, we're, we like to play like hum and haw? And are they just kicking themselves? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because that's why people do trade no. for guys like Kuzmenko, is
0: because you never know when the guy's going to rediscover it and Besser's rediscovered it. we heard throughout last year there was a good amount of interest in Besser it's just teams could not bring themselves with the contract especially going into another flat cap yeah
2: year, and right? now they right? are two more years of it right that was yeah. part right of it. like right. if he had had this season last year you know, I I, mean, I think it would have changed the dynamic a little bit, but it was just this idea of the struggling player with two more years, two onerous to take on. But it is funny too, and you bring up Kuzmenko, like there's no reason that next year, Andre Kuzmenko couldn't score a lot of the goals that Brock Besser is, look at the goals last night, go to the net, stick down. Like those were the goals that Kuzmenko scored last year. Yeah. Absolutely, he could score those goals again next year. Uh, hockey can be a fickle game and it's just right now, uh, it is all working for Brock Besser in saying that. And that first goal last night, like, look, all the attention and all the glory on Pedersen for the OT winner. And it's incredible. That opening goal, the zone entry, the way he pulls up and then threads the needle. Like, this is the NHL. These are the best players in the world. The Penguins are one of the best defensive teams in the National Hockey League. And Elias Pedersen just puts that thing on on the tape for Brock Bessler. Like, that was just perfection. I mean, that was an indication that – I know that Patterson's been in a groove here, but, man, to me, that was just another sign. Like, he's on, look out Pittsburgh, and sure enough, in on all four of the Canuck goals.
0: MVP candidate? For the team? No, for the league.
2: (laughs) Although, for the team's going to be interesting, too.
1: Yeah, you're Uh, right.
2: Yeah, I I think the way that a guy like Nathan McKinnon right now feels – to me, like he's fueled to separate himself from a hard charging Connor McDavid. And I'm fascinated to watch that battle over the second half of the season. And what Connor Hellebuck is doing in Winnipeg. uh, I think people have to start taking some notice of, that so you know is he playing himself into he's not even the leading score on this team and i know you don't have to be the leading scorer but i think that might you know there could be some vote splitting certainly uh, there are people that still think quinn hughes has played his way into sort of a you know beyond the norris beyond you know the heart for what he means to this team and the way that he did early in the season so uh, this embarrassment of riches for the vancouver canucks could lead to some vote splitting uh when all is said and done
0: great stuff jeff we'll be uh, listening to rink wide Saturday after a matinee start against the Buffalo Sabres. And we'll catch back up with you. We're going to talk to you Monday during our live stream and then Tuesday for your regularly scheduled hit. Thank you.
2: All right, guys. Thank you. Stay warm and uh, have yourself a good weekend. Oh, to the
0: people. To the people. We, yes. Let's go to those people. Shall we, we have to go to the people and miss the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go
1: to the people we go brought to you by finning cats Improve productivity and efficiency with equipment you can rely on go to finning.com and check out their extensive inventory new used rental equipment find the right solution to meet your unique needs you need a part never been easier with finning cats online service invest in the future of your business check out the latest at finning.com
0: Replies to our video from Thursday about whether the Canucks should make a trade for Jake Gensel. Preezy, is this whole city smoking? A 30-year-old U.S. Uf- yes. Well, <laughs> The answer yes, yeah. That's yeah. sort of the reputation, Preezy. Check out Sunset Beach on 420, bud. Uh, or just walk down Kitts Beach any day. Maybe not today. Can't imagine it's busy at Kitts Beach today. He's about to be 30 years old, the UFA, and you want to give up two of your brightest prospects in the early 20s and a first round pick? No. Nobody said two of the brightest prospects. In a fr- As always with these players, what's the ask? A player, a prospect, yeah. and a first round pick. Don't let pack. that become a scoop, folks. Yeah, that's not news. Pick, prospect, and a player is yeah. just the formula. Uh, and look no further than Bo Horvat. Yeah. Traded for a pick a player,
1: and a prospect. Uh, Corey, on the same thing out of the inbox, uh, Corey, for Mission. given that this year's pick will be pretty far down the first round, I'm not too worried about trading that. But mm-hmm. Canucks fans better be ready for Kuz or hoglander should they get traded to, say, Pittsburgh to let it up. Uh, these are very good players that aren't fitting in target system. In a different scheme, they likely excel. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Like If they do trade Kuz or hoglander I think there's a very good chance that both of those players do fine. Mm-hmm. Wherever they go, and
0: you have to be okay with it. Evan says, In a cap world, we need the Hoaglanders and the Put colsons in a pick with a sweetener if need be, but no more, please. Not sure that gets it done, but I can understand that. Mr. K. Fish says, Not worth it. They're the high scoring team in the league. Better hold tight, get some playoff experience, and keep building through the draft. There's a case for that as well. And uh, one more here I liked. Steven. I would never do that deal. Team is playing great as it is. Any deal for Gensel will make next year's team worse. I want to contender year after year because that is the best chance of winning a cup with a team that develops together. And I hear you, Stephen. And I think a lot of people hear you. But next year, if you get Pedersen resigned, he's really expensive. Philip Roenick, he's really expensive. OEL buyout, not as forgiving as it is this year plus all the other UFAs currently without contracts that you either need to replace or re-sign. So, look, there's a case, getting back to today's poll question, there's a case for going all-in right now as it stands. Yeah. The next six weeks, seven weeks, is going to give you more information.
1: All the role players, we talked about this yesterday, all the role players, they're all going to want raises, so not all of them can come back. So th- this will be a different looking team. And as we've seen, I mean, this core has been around and they haven't been this good. So the role players are adding something. You don't know what role players are going to be bringing in next next year. You know, so we'll see what this team looks like. But it's not going to be the exact same team. Just won't. Winston in the inbox. Nickname for the Bluger Garland Joshua line. The Adrena line. Looks Better written down adrenaline, the adrenaline line? said Winston. Yes, no, yeah, looks better written than it does. Yeah, spoken. I
0: almost never. Uh, that's why Lotto Line stuck. Very few of these names tend to have staying power West Coast Express, Lotto Line, they stuck for a reason.
1: Kevin, an engineer, tell me you're wrong. The Canucks are going to be having a team building trip dot 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 to the all star game in Toronto. <laughs> Good. The best kind of uh, field trip, one that is paid for by the league, Mm -hmm. not by anybody else. This is an interesting one from JC. Memo to Jim Benning. In retrospect, I can forgive you for everything except for one thing, because what you were trying to do was not that different from the current management group. I appreciate the intention behind trading for a rugged stay-at-home defenseman like Branson. I appreciate trying to sign role players like Roussel and Beagle. I appreciate signing a free agent top six winger like Erickson. I appreciate trying to bring in a top four D on a long-term deal. I appreciate the effort in rescinding bad trades, bringing in Pearson. Juleson and Shen. I appreciate trading draft picks to free up cap space, but the thing I will never, ever understand is why you didn't sign Pedersen to a long-term contract. This is your ultimate failure and is unforgivable.
0: A lot of preach there.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit too much appreciation, too much I think, in there. Too for my uh, yeah. liking. Yeah, but I do see uh, there are, the betting brigade is back to some degree. The bros are back a little bit trying to contend that the core is Bennings and that's the reason for the success but again the core has been there the whole time folks the core is Bennings
0: but okay. they've been there for years and haven't had the success right the system and structure of Talkit plus what Rutherford and Alvine were able to put around the there. support team it's 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 not too dissimilar from the Gillis era too the core was not Gillis's no but what they put around that core was the reason the team was able to succeed to the level it succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing in a ham use like a Horonic. Playing in up-tempo style. Fatigue management. All the different things that that management group specifically brought to the table accentuated, enhanced the player talent that it inherited. And again, everybody, unless you're an expansion GM... Every GM is going to inherit a hand. It's how you play that hand.
1: Omar. These guys have played it pretty well. Omar's hot take. This season is not only the biggest turnaround in Canucks history, it is the best team the Canucks have ever put together. Younger, more top-end talent, and more assets in the pocket for the trade deadline
0: than the president trophy teams had over a decade ago. I would would say yes to younger with more top-end talent. I can't get to better. Uh, the defense was that the much defense, better. The yeah. top four of the Presidents Trophy winning winning teams was extraordinary. Yeah,
1: Edlerham use there VX. was no Quinn
0: Hughes. Okay, there was no Quinn Hughes, and and Hronik is he can hang with that group too. Yeah, but beyond that,
1: yeah, there was there was better depth mm-hmm. uh, on defense. The top end talent,
0: yeah, probably because you had the twins. And then- twins Burroughs, Kessler was pretty good top end talent, but Miller, Pedersen, Besser,
1: and we I mean, were still playing in the, in the in in this same kind of era within a you know within an arm's reach at least mm-hmm. in terms of goals per game in the league. So,
0: I mean, well, and, and let's also remember Hank and Danny each won MVPs. So. As great as Pederson and Miller are, Mm -hmm. I'll take peak Sadine over Sadines over those two guys.
1: It's getting close though.
0: It is getting close. (laughs) No, that's the great part. That's why they're successful, Blake. some Price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group you can text us 7784029680 it's the Great Clips text message inbox Great Clips it's gonna be great stay warm out there a lot of uh, white caps on the North Shore on the on, on the North Shore I looked across English Bay today and I saw White capped mountains. Oh, on those the North white shore. caps! they meant like the the
1: seas have been rough too. Are they too. all
0: are they all are they all open? Cypress yeah, yeah. Grouse and Sierra—they're yeah, yeah, all yeah. open. Okay.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks to last week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were all open before that, but we're talking like the
0: yeah. the worst runs. But um, boy, if you happen to be skiing late afternoon yesterday, that was something else. Yeah. I mean, when it's a blizzard in Kitts and it was a blizzard at one time at one point in Kitts. I was taking the dog like for a, a hike
1: on the mountain and yeah, it was I'm,
0: incredible how much snow was down that quickly.
1: I was ankle deep in mm-hmm. the blink of an eye. It was uh it was a lot.
0: Whitecaps the soccer club and look, their schedule had been released, but we had it fleshed out yesterday. Well, we had so many TBDs and we were wondering exactly. what's going on TBD there. TBD was everywhere. Yeah. So, Let's start with the good. Up to five 4.30 starts as opposed to the two last year. Messi is coming on Saturday, May 25th. TFC is coming this year. It's not always a guaranteed now with the Canadian Eastern clubs, and that always makes for a fun atmosphere at BC Place on April 6th. Two visits from Max Crapo and the rival Portland Timbers, March 30th and September 28th. And, of course, the Sounders are here in the penultimate home game of the season. That is usually fun as well. There's two two big pluses. Five 430s I was and, just, and the Saturdays versus
1: the Wednesdays.
0: Right. Fifteen Saturday games, just two, two Wednesday games. All of that is great. Yeah. Still not enough 430s for my liking. Still too many 730s for my liking I know there are some well it's all the league I'm, I'm sure the considerations. the White Caps would no, love of, that to be more but, right yeah. of course but should still be pushing on that only 3 home games in July and August uh it's league's cup so there will be
1: more that's this is league schedule remember no league's cup so there will be at least one more home
0: game in league's okay. cup if not more cuz that's pretty sparse when the kids are out of school you know y- yeah so like that as well. Uh, sorry, uh, want to see more of that as well. Opener Saturday, March 3rd. Home opener versus Charlotte. That's a 430. In fact, the first couple are 430, so that's good. And then the home finale is Saturday, October 5th versus Minnesota. Buck, they seemingly they always draw Minnesota in the last match, yeah? Huh? Or in the last couple. That is also at 430. Yeah, that's the second last week. Decision day is the week after that. Yeah. Um,
1: So they'll be on the road again for decision day, which is always a tough
0: thing. Means you gotta get your house in order. Oh yeah, don't leave it to chance. Have it not matter. Yeah, be locked in to a home playoff game. How about that? Or home field, home pitch in the first round of the playoffs. With with that in mind, do we know? We're are we doing the same playoff format? Have you? Do you know anything there? I, I they haven't announced it. I think the,
1: I think the plan is to get they, uh, – they're using their words from last season. They all loved the playoff format. Okay, um, So I would guess that's the case. But uh, in terms of the start, they, they want to get off to a good start this year. So they have the home opener on March 2nd. Mm-hmm. And then they go a couple weeks out on the road. So, that you know, the, you you want to make sure that you win that home opener lest you drop the first couple on the road. You don't want to be 0-3 out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Right, So it's a big one versus Charlotte to get things started. Um, Charlotte ain't good? I haven't seen what they've done in this offseason. There's been so much player movement yeah. this year. It's unbelievable. Um, and speaking of which, uh, they officially announced Fafa Pico yesterday or the day before, but they will I, – I, by all accounts, they've got another person coming in. Mm-hmm. There's another player to drop uh, beyond the two veterans that they brought up uh, or signed in, in Pico and, um, and
0: Krylock. So yeah. we'll see. Poll question results from Thursday: Will Jake Gensel be a Canuck? Yes or no? Sixteen hundred votes on this, Blake. What did the people say? They said yes. No, they said no. Really? Eighty-one percent no. Really? Will Jake Gensel be a
1: Canuck? I would have thought that. I would have thought sixty percent yes. I would have thought they really. Yeah. I would have thought they would completely wow. buy in.
0: Well, you're with Grant here. Who says, if we've learned anything from this management group so far, it's that their intentions are often leaked well in advance. Susie Blugers, Adoroff were all heavily rumored before signing, being acquired. I have no doubt they're working very hard on Gensel at the moment. A lot of people saying, why are you so inclined to break this team up? I guess believing that a Jake Gensel acquisition would require multiple pieces off the Kearney, which could well be the case.
1: I mean, it's always it's always the case uh, for deadline day acquisitions. And and again, it was far more um, dramatic back in the day when sometimes you'd you'd acquire three guys at the deadline. Mm hmm and only jettison one roster player or something like that, and all of a sudden you got you got a whole new makeup. I'm, but if you're convinced that you are a better team, then you're still going to make that deal.
0: Jan says, to be honest, I'd rather pay a lower cost and go after a guy like Sean Monaghan from the Canadians, good depth centerman who could play up or down if needed. Leo says, I just don't get this. You know who Pittsburgh's GM is, right? In what world would they trade their leading scorer after emptying the chamber for a playoff run? Well, I think that's part of it, Leo, is... You're on the fringes of the playoffs. And if it looks like they're not going to make it here over the next three to six weeks, then I think you're looking at a Jake Gensel deal. They have to replenish the player pipeline there in Pittsburgh at some point. It seemed like Sydney and only Sydney (laughs) last night, right? Errors and omissions from Thursday's program. Grady, I've got a clean sheet here. Could it be? Could it be? It could be. Oh, wow. Okay, moving on. Betway, bets of the day. You go first, Blake. Well, I, I'm going back to the weather of this uh,
1: Buffalo-Pittsburgh game. <laughs> Fascinated. by uh, Now they're calling for a foot of snow and wind gusts of 69 miles an hour. So that's 100K yeah. an hour. So I'm going total field goals over under. Zero. Oh. Under for
0: sure. Oh, there will not be a field It's at goal. three and a half. So I'm not even sure you punt in 60 mile per hour winds. Just go for it. <laughs> That's actually not a
1: bad idea. Like, if you're
0: into the wind, I don't care where you are on the field.
1: You are better off just going for it. Under three and a half pays a a buck fifty. By the way, somebody posted a Pat McAfee. I guess because he was making so much news, a Pat McAfee recovered onside kick. Yes, the little dribbler, and then he like like it must have been mid game. Like it must not have been a fourth quarter thing. He probably surprised them in like out of the half or something like that. That was clinical. Oh yeah. Oh my god, it was a thing of beauty.
0: Almost as clinical as the onside dribble punt from the Alouettes this year. Right. Yes. Jason Moss is lobbying to keep in the rule book. I think every other team in the C is saying, "No, we got to get rid of that one." I'm taking all the points on Sunday. Taking Steelers plus ten. I'm taking Packers plus seven in Dallas. I'm taking Rams plus three. In fact, I'm taking Rams to win straight up. Wow.
3: Okay. I just want to go back to E
0: and O for oh a second. Shit. Because I want to oh counter shit. to Yerke. And oh my God. We're he Lansing tweeted with at Yerkes. D- yes, that's right.
1: He did have a, b- a gripe, didn't
3: he? What was that? He said calling an E and O on Blake for grouping Ruchinski last minute edition in 04 when Bertuzzi was suspended with Carney and Weinrich. Uh, bracket O six acquisitions following a bunch of D man injuries who came with Norner no Mika Nordin and Sean Brown. However, I don't think you group them as the same year. You were just kind of referring to like those types right. of like depth additions. Late so, season. We deaths. did
0: not need to indulge your key there. No, I'm calling E and Yeah, counter I'm going back to E to yes. counter a key. But but must be it. 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Shout I have out, to get that in. Shout out
1: to Yurki though for putting the I don't even know what it's called yeah, on, it's, the, sea on the C of On the C of Ruchinski. I mean working that Apple keyboard like nobody's business. Uh, do you know what the, the reverse arrow The little U above the C is called? Uh, the shallow U. We're, we're going to have almost. to look that one yeah. up for Monday. There you go. E's
0: and Os. Thanks for listening everybody. A reminder subscribe to us Connects Conversation rink-wide wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.